Hey, everybody. Before we start the episode, we just wanted to provide a quick content warning because in this episode, there is some talk about harming children. And we just wanted to let our listeners who might be sensitive to that know ahead of time. So we wanted to let you know here at the top of the show. Now let's get into it. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my divine co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a security guard that's just trying to get through the night, and then I'm beat up by a warrior nun. You were just trying to make a paycheck, get yeah. home safely, and then pow! I didn't actually want to hurt anybody. And they assured me that was fine. Now, now, hold on, though. You weren't beat up by a warrior nun, were you? You were just beat up by a nun who is a fighter. Because a warrior nun has a halo. Like a nun warrior. <laughs> I was trying to make it seem more heroic, you know? Ah, right, right. I see. Like, did anyone get the number of that truck that hit me? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That happened in episode one also. Ava got hit by a truck. And in this yeah. episode, Ava was like, you should see the other girl, who's also fine, by the way. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but me? I'm Jack O'Lander. A nun that just always gets my poison and medicine injectors mixed up. It's just so, it's just so easy. They look the same. I R don't label it. Why Rookie did, mistake. Yeah, why do they make them look exactly alike? Yeah, I just have like a drawer full of them. I just keep them loose in there. And I just, you know, I pray when I reach in, I figure that'll give me the right one. If God <laughs> wants the person that you are injecting to live, he will put the right vial in your hand, right? It's true. Then again, they can't all be medicine. So it's it's like, Jesus, take my hand or Jesus, take the vial. Yeah. And you Jesus, just, take the vial. You exactly. just trust that you're doing the right thing or it was meant to be like Jamie said. Yeah, it's true. But but then again, if I keep getting the medicine, eventually there will only be poison. Right. So you never restock the medicine. Oh, well, no, and not until it's empty. Right? But if you pray okay. hard enough. You could turn the poison into more medicine. Right. That's but, probably true. But it could also turn into wine, and then putting that in someone's veins is effectively That's poison. <laughs> Isn't there a saying about how the poison <laughs> is in the dose? Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So if I only inject a little wine into someone's bloodstream. You can poison them slowly over time and nobody will trace it back to you. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is getting dark to begin with here, but hey, everybody. <laughs> this is another satire TV episode, and we are going through our coverage of Warrior Nun Season 1, which kind of rhymes. And today we're going to be talking about episode four, Ecclesiasticus 26, 9 through 10, which is, I'm sure, a really wholesome passage that is uplifting and uh, positive, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. It's not like a slut-shamey passage in any way, shape, or form? Oh, no, not at all. In fact, it's empowering. 
Oh, good. That's nice. Well, before we start getting into the meat of this episode, I think Chelsea has a summary for all of you who might have forgotten what happened in this episode. So this week for your Bible studies, we're going to read Ecclesiasticus 26, 9 through 10. Yay. And just bear with me here for a moment. We'll read it aloud and then we'll dissect its meaning. <laughs> like a cadaver. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so the passage reads, The whoredom of a woman Wait, what? <laughs> may be known in her haughty look and eyelids. Hmm. We're not even done yet. Bear with me. That must have been nine. Maybe it recovers in ten. Let's see. If thy daughter be shameless, keep her in straightly. <laughs> Good luck understanding what that means. Lest she abuse herself through overmuch liberty. Well, damn these modern women and their freedoms, question mark, he says. They really brought it home. No, they, they just leaned in hard. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know, for a second there, they had me. <laughs> really got to read between the lines on this one. I know, because this show is about feminine power, so... I was kind of like, this is an interesting choice yes. <laughs> for the title of this episode. Where do where were they going with this? Oh, well, maybe it's like, you know how they say your holiness? They could say your hoariness. <laughs> oh, God. It measures it. So you're saying that they're reclaiming the term whore here. Yes. Yes. Oh, I don't think that's what's happening. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly. Too bad. They could have had horrier nuns. You know, I'm... <laughs> you know what? I would watch that. <laughs> oh, boy. That's more like the comics, though. <laughs> you. <laughs> I think that um, Typo Negative had a song about that. Really? <laughs> Very cool. Well, so in this episode, <laughs> we're going to have to unpack that uh, passage as we go because... Like a hastily packed suitcase. We are going to need to unpack it. Um, so in the episode itself, uh, Ava reunites with JC and, and his gang. Briefly. Like very briefly. Very briefly. Long enough to get a makeover. Yeah. Yeah. Until Zori confronts her saying that, you know, Arctech is coming after them. Jillian and Christian from Arctech are giving them the boot. And so they, they feel like they need to get out of there. And Ava kind of pops off and then leaves after she destroys the house. Yo, she left more cracks in the walls than we have here in our house, which has a lot of cracks in the walls. Yeah, because we live in California where there are a lot of earthquakes. Yes. And this uh, building is over 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, well. But anyways, Ava puts much bigger cracks in the wall. Yeah. Loki's here to record with us. So basically, the bulk of the episode beyond Ava trying to figure out where she fits in and who she really is now is this war going on between Arctech 
and the church, specifically the OCS, the OSC even, or is it the OCS? I'm getting confused. It's the Order of the Cruciform Sword, so OCS. Thank you. You're welcome. In your defense, I can't remember what to call the nuns other than just nuns, because they're not warrior nuns. Right. There are nuns who happen to be warriors, but there's only one warrior nun, at least that we know of at the time. The other ones are called sister nuns. Sure. Yes, that's right. I was actually uh, I was actually seeing a petition to have their group's name changed to uh, the Order of the Violent Faithless. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very nice. Yes. Very nice. Yes. It so just seems OVF, to capture. OVF. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so wait, they are OSC? OCS. <laughs> Order, cruciform, sword. OCS. So Arctic has a war with the OCS. <laughs> the that arm of the church. Yes. And basically they kind of declare war on each other, but not overtly, just covertly within their own organizations. They each know they're at war with one another, but they don't overtly say it to one another. It's not exactly a cold war, but, you know, similar concept, I guess. So basically, they're fighting over artifacts. Mm-hmm. Which they- These artifacts belong in a laboratory, according to Jillian, but they belong in a monastery, according to the OCS. Duretti, specifically. Well, sure. Who has, in this episode, taken over the OCS because he doesn't trust Father Vis- Vincent's ability to run that arm of the church. But Duretti uses that old chestnut, I'm doing this for your own good. And I believe in you. Nobody else believes in you. I do. Mother Superior shows her true colors by siding with Doretti. And Doretti easily sways Lilith to his side by offering her a chance to reclaim her power and her privilege. honor, her mm-hmm. faith, her legacy, her destiny. Ex- there you go. Exactly. Her family's had what, six or eight halo bearers up to this point? Six even. Yeah. So there's a lot of infighting between those groups. And then Ava kind of has a struggle within herself if she wants to just live her life to the fullest or accept this heroic calling that she's had. And she kind of is leaning toward just wanting to live Moss, but can't help playing the hero whenever she finds somebody in need. She's got super strength. Like, the urge is there to go save people. Right. So she saves her young friend Diego at the orphanage. She also tries to save a young woman in an alley who actually doesn't need saving because that young woman is part of a all-female gang who is trying to stab a dude, I guess? They were entrapping him. Uh, so that the- kind of didn't go anywhere, though. Even though she saw the demon mist when she was going there, she kind of gets stabbed in the alley. A and wraith, then, you mean? Yeah. She gets stabbed in the alley and just kind of leaves for the beach. So. Yeah, I mean, she has super healing, so. Um, so, yeah, in the process of saving Diego, she mortally wounds Sister Francis. Who, in Ava's defense, just admitted to horrendous acts throughout the years, and also tried to kill Ava a second time. Yes. And um, the episode ends on a cliffhanger as Lilith 
comes towards Ava threateningly with that Divinium blade. Yes. And shit's about to go down, mm-hmm. and then it fades to black. Mm-hmm. Wow, this episode was jam-packed, guys. We've got a lot to talk about. Why don't we get to the unnamed segment where we talk about what happened in this episode? Into the Unnamed. All right, guys, there's so much to talk about with this episode, but why don't we start with this internal conflict that Ava is facing kind of throughout this episode as she's grappling with what she wants to do. You know, we start this episode, she's just left the monastery where the warrior nun, I'm sorry, where the sister nuns took her. She rejects them. She wants to reconnect with her friends, but she's quickly rejected by them. Right. By proxy of Zori kind of being like, well, we don't want you around. And everyone else kind of just lets Zori take the lead on that for what it's worth. Except for JC. Well, yeah, but she doesn't know that up to this point. He was defending her in the moment. Right. But he kind of lets her. Well, I mean, he doesn't let her go, but she leaves and he follows in a little while. But Mm -hmm. she's having this kind of crisis of conscience about what her role is. She's. You know, in this episode, we see her following these people into the alley. She gets assaulted there. Yeah, she is struggling with wanting to just kind of live her life because she's got this second chance. She wants to take advantage of it. She wants to experience things because before she was just holed up in this orphanage bound to a bed. She couldn't move around. She was a paraplegic. And now that she's got this like new lease on life. She wants the experience to go out and do all the things she could never do before. Yeah. I mean, she's having a a tough time having this incredible power because, I mean, I think we all know that when you have great power, there's a lot of stuff you have to do also. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's the old adage. Just like Uncle Ben said. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so Ava's getting a lot of, I don't know, mixed messages is the right word. She's being pulled in these different directions and the events that are playing out around here, her are leaving her unsure about how to go on. Yes. But also, as I was saying, so she's struggling between wanting to just be herself and figure out who she even is. Cause she's hasn't been able to build her own identity much yet. Fun loving person of indeterminate age between teenager and young adult. <laughs> yeah. But she also is feeling these impulses to kind of be a hero for others. And we see her stepping in when she feels like she sees people in danger who may not be able to help themselves. Right. She doesn't really want to take the hero's path, but because she feels protective of others and she's kind of like a shield for others. She she can't help but follow that impulse. That's part of who she is. And, and maybe that's part of her journey. She's going to be figuring that out, you know. I think we see flashes of that even in the flashback moments where she is in the orphanage with Francis and Diego in the earlier days. And she's kind of like built this relationship with Diego in spite of Francis's bullshit 
And it seems like she is very protective of him, too. And like you said, she wants to be the shield. That's what causes her to go back to the orphanage at the end of this episode. Well, yeah, because she's remembering what happened just before she passed out and never woke up again. Until she did wake up again. Is Sister Frances administering some medicine to her. Medicine, quote unquote. In a, the poison variety of medicine. <laughs> yeah. In a, poison brand medicine. In a syringe. She didn't pray over it first. That was part of the problem. You know, to turn the poison into medicine. I don't know if Francis's true faith is quite strong enough to do that, given her proclivities for horrendous crimes. So, yeah, Ava kind of put it all together and realized that she couldn't leave with JC. She and JC were going to kind of bounce. He was like, those other people I hang out with aren't really friends. Which is mean because Chanel definitely seems like she's cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess maybe she's... She's catty. Yeah. But I mean, true. at the end of the day, she's she seems cool. She helps yeah. out Ava. She gives her a makeover. She's she like seems trying to help her find herself. She seems yeah. to care more. Yeah, I think they're probably going to continue to be characters. I think so. In the show, and she's probably going to be one of the characters that Ava will be, you know, more relatable to. Yeah, they have a bond. Yeah. But so Ava's trying to help Diego because she realizes he's still in the orphanage. He's still in danger because Sister Francis poses a danger to him. He's actually in immediate danger because when Ava arrives, we believe Francis is literally about to kill him. So her timing is kind of godly. Yes. And when Ava asks Sister Francis how many children she's hurt, Sister Francis says that she lost count. I actually thought Sister Francis was so interesting in those couple of scenes. Because she's a real cruel person. Needless to say. It's true. In Flash, well, not just because of the countless child murder, right? She's also very rude. Yeah. And which crime is worse, really? You know, it's a real (laughs) toss-up. But she's very mean. She is very mean. And I can't tell if she feels really bad about killing all these kids or she really likes it because she was laughing gleefully in Ava's face, which was very uh, unsettling. Not always, though. When Ava was confronting her in that conversation, she kept going back and forth like every couple of seconds from like laughing like a maniac and being really remorseful like someone who killed a bunch of kids. Really? <laughs> and laughing like someone who killed a bunch of kids. <laughs> so like (laughs) yeah no she was going back and forth between thinking it was funny and thinking it was sad that's why i was like dude she's gotta be possessed by a demon because she was acting like two people second to second honestly i that is my suspicion I gotta say. We didn't see any yeah we didn't see any demon like pouring out of her and she's been doing this for decades Potentially. But we don't know. We Centuries. Still, <laughs> but we still don't know if Ava can see wraiths, if they're possessing somebody or not. That's true. Yeah, but I would guess that, like, after she killed Francis, like, the, the wraith would start to ooze out, right? 
Maybe. We don't know yet. But no, it was trying to... It could have been staying there trying to kill Ava. You know, one thing, though, is if she did end up actually killing Sister Frances, because uh, so far Ava's just backed away assuming Frances is dead. Well, that's because Frances fell down the wall with her eyes open and rolled back in her head. <laughs> you know, universal sign for death. Okay, well, she could have passed out, though. Yeah. But um, either way, we didn't see any Wraith leave her it's body. True. true. She did. Uh, Ava did rush out pretty quick after Diego showed up. We should mention. And Ava apologized that he had to see that. It's true. In episode two, there was that little boy that we've mentioned in the last episode as well. We haven't seen him yet. We haven't seen him again. In Arctech's lab. It's true. We assumed that kid was possessed or a third kind of demon. Right. And Sister Francis could fit that description as well. Same thing as oh, the kid. I, yeah. I think the kid is some kind of like lab experiment child more than anything, but we'll see. I'm Maybe. interested to know what the real deal is. But why would he be there? He looked possessed. Now, what if yeah. he was a g- 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 ghost? Could have been. Yeah. If Ava can see ghosts and she doesn't realize it yet, how would she know? Yeah. Yeah. She can see the mist, we know. She can see the Tarasks, we know. Yeah. yeah. There's got to be a lot more. Yeah, and what was interesting is it was just revealed in this episode that Shannon could phase through the wall also. Oh, yeah, she had phase powers too. And she hid that from everybody else. She did. Yeah, that's right. And she Mary found out that she must have had a secret room and that she was suspecting somebody within the church of betrayal or something because she was hiding things in a room that only she could go into. Yeah, Shannon think, thought that somebody was not trustworthy in the order, therefore Shannon was hiding something. And now Mary and Vincent are deciding that they'd like to try to recruit or to get Ava back to help them find this. Right. But meanwhile, At- Doretti and Lilith want to murder Ava and take the halo back. So there's not only a war within Ava or a war going on between Arctech and the church, but there's a war going on within the church. Dun, dun, dun. And it's all about control over resources and and being able to control the narrative. Yes, absolutely. Who's in charge? Who's defining the roles of... The people in the setting. Who gets to create meaning? Who gets to say what is meaningful and the ultimate goal of anything? And that theme is also reflected in Father Doretti or Cardinal Doretti's mission to send the nuns to Arctech to retrieve the artifacts, which he says it's a blasphemy for Arctech to use them. And he yes. wants to control the artifacts that he believes, because they're made of divinium, he believes it belongs to the church. So he tells the sister nuns that they're basically at war with Arctech. And they are wondering why Father Vis- Vincent isn't leading them, but they go along with what Doretti is saying because he's an authority figure in the church and they're soldiers. And we see the nuns having a conflict kind of internally between who is, for shorthand, we'll say who's loyal to Vincent and who's loyal to Doretti. Right. And 
Vincent told Mary when they were talking about Shannon that they can't openly draw suspicion on Shannon if she really was murdered. He seems to think it could have been somebody on the inside that gave her away because Mary said whoever put the hit out on her knew that Divinium would hurt her. Right. Good point. So she has to have been betrayed by somebody on the inside. Perhaps even Lilith, I gotta say it. I mean, if you... No, Lilith would never wait, but at the end of the episode... (laughs) She's coming after Ava. Yeah. And um, we know that she's power-hungry to be the next Halo-bearer. She feels like it's part of her lineage, her right. And... Well, and Doretti's manipulating her. And according to the myths, I mean, Lilith would have it out for anybody who has power, more power than her. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, if we're to read Lilith as a reincarnation of of the biblical Lilith. Uh-huh. Or maybe they're just really similar. It's just a coincidence that the person with this name is very similar. <laughs> but Lilith is basically kind of betraying the faith by siding with Doretti. Oh, but not in Doretti's perspective. Yeah, that's why they're the Order of the Violent Faithless. They got rid of the one guy who said in the episode, I'm going forward with faith. Right. They kicked him out of his job. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, fa- uh, Cardinal Doretti, who, dis- who uh, let's say, perverts a lot of the Christian texts. All right, yeah. let's talk about it. Oh, dude. There's the one scene which is supposed to make him look really fucked. Where all the nuns are praying as part of, like, a sermon. And Father Doretti is just, like, spread eagle on the ground. Face down. He is planking. He's planking, but with his arms out to either side. He's trying to do it. He's doing the planking T-pose. It's true. (laughs) He's trying to do it as a way to show that he's very pious and very devout. But this, Which is bullshit. In the show, this is used to typecast him as an insane asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's called subtext. <laughs> it's true. There's, uh, you know, I think it's ironic that pious is synonymous with prideful or pompous. <laughs> and I think Father Doretti embodies that very well. That's sort of in reference to a scripture where... I think Jesus is recruiting the tax collector disciple of his Matthew, where he's referencing how there's the one priest who prays looking up toward heaven saying, thank you, God, for making me rich and wise, better than this piece of shit tax collector over here, right? And then there's the tax collector who's looking down because he doesn't feel worthy and he's all crying saying like, forgive me because I've sinned, right? And Jesus is like, praise the person who looks down and says that they're unworthy, right? And the person who doesn't think that they're better than others, right? Somebody who shows humility. Exactly. And so what I think Father Doretti is doing is he's exaggerating that looking down by laying all the way down on the ground, but he's doing it in a way that makes him like the bishop in that story where he's actually showing how 
like how much more devoted he is. Exactly, he's trying to flex. Look exactly. how pious I am. Look how humble I am. It's like it's a power move, dude. It's like the people on YouTube who give stuff to homeless people, but only for views, and they play it up a lot. Yeah, he's like, it's a total power move. He's just like. Look at how much more devout than you, all of you I am. I can supplicate myself even further. <laughs> I can lay on the ground. It's true. I can kiss the ground while I lay down. <laughs> now go kill a bunch of people for me. I can get so far down that I bend over and kiss my own asshole. <laughs> I can get down on the ground and crawl around like a snake, the most holy of creatures, <laughs> yes. because they're the closest to the ground. Dude, that'd be so sick if he laid down and you saw his eyes turn into like Thulsa Doom yeah. from Conan and just start slithering out of his butt, out of his. Oh ropes. god, if he turned into the snake man like Thulsa Doom did, I would be way on board with that. That'd just be so sick. That'd be the most honest move that Doretti has done so far. It's true. However, there's also the scene where he's talking with Lilith. Yes. And he's like, what does he say? It could be destiny, right? Right. Yeah. It is your destiny to have the halo, basically. You can go kill Ava and reclaim your destiny. Right. I was actually saying it differently. Oh, but Lilith, I see what, yeah, Doretti (laughs) is talking to Lilith about kind of commiserating with her that she was supposed to be the next in line and it must be difficult for her to have to accept it. And she says, I accept the path before me. Yeah. And he says that passive humility can be nice and all, but what if... (laughs) He specifically... No, no. He specifically says passive meekness. Right. And one of the catchphrases of Christianity is the meek shall inherit the earth. And he says it in a mocking way. Right. Right, But, you know, it's like you you can read in the Bible when you're reading the meek shall inherit the earth. You can hear you can actually imply the wink and nod like, ah, uh, you know what I'm saying. saying." While Jesus gestured to a knife that he was passing (laughs) to somebody. (laughs) And he said, it's okay to kill someone if you bait them into (laughs) self-defense. Which is what Mary did in the last episode. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, Father Doretti, he he says to Lilith, like, yeah, this passive meekness is good, but what if this was a fluke, right? What if this was all, like, a misunderstanding that we're supposed to correct? Yeah, right. what if it was a grave mistake we were meant to correct? Yeah, I know. He's just- I mean, by that logic, anything could be interpreted to be a mistake that needs to be corrected. Yeah, I know. He's just a guy who can't see past himself. He wants a halo bearer that he can control. Exactly. Yes. And Ava is proving difficult to control. Yeah. If you don't get somebody that's already under your thrall, already brainwashed... Before they get the halo, it's difficult to try to brainwash them afterwards because of how powerful they become. Yeah, it's interesting to juxtapose just because we saw in the last episode Vincent and Ava together. And Ava, we know, is more of a free spirit. She's more driven by her own goals. She's concerned about other people, but I don't think she's as pliable. Because she's, you know, we see in this episode that, like, her older interactions with Francis, like, where she 
even though she's a paraplegic, she has learned to work her muscles to flip off Sister Francis. And like, so we know that Ava is a rebel. Yes. Vincent was offering a lot more freedom to her. And kind of sadly, if Ava had stuck around, Vincent would probably still have the control, the power at the OCS and things wouldn't be looking so grim. But because Ava rebelled against him, because she's a rebel, we know what she does. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It actually made things worse, though. She would have had more freedom if she had stuck around and been the halo bearer. Yeah. It's complicated, of course. I'm not saying that that was the right path or the wrong Mm, path for her, but she wouldn't probably have Lilith hunting her down right now, if that were the case. Maybe it's a good thing to get out of the way. Maybe. If she didn't act the way they wanted, maybe they would have tried to take it in her sleep or something like that. Possibly. But it seemed like Vincent's motivations were a lot more, um, let's say... Altruistic. Altruistic. Yeah. Good intentions. best. Yeah. Guys, before we keep talking about the episode, why don't we head to the bounty board? Hey, you there. That's right, I'm talking to you. You look like someone who loves stories. Now, don't be so surprised. It's my business to know things. And that's why I know you'll love Audible. Because they've got all the stories. So many stories you could live your whole life exploring new worlds inside your imagination. They've got audiobooks, podcasts, comedy, and all the spoken word content you could ever want. All in one convenient place. And there's this rumor going around that if you head to audibletrial.com swords right now, you can get a free 30-day trial of Audible, including a credit for a free audiobook of your choice. Think of all the great stories you could be listening to. What's that? Do I use Audible? Oh, friend, you know I do. In fact, I've got a finely curated collection of content that I've put together with some of the best works in fantasy, film, and cultural studies. If you're looking for a good lead on your first podcast, you could try His Majesty's Dragon by Naomi Novak. Ever wonder what the Napoleonic Wars would have been like if they were fought with dragons? Of course you have! So clearly, that's the book for you to try. Plus, Audible has all your favorite podcasts, like Swords and Satire. So head over to audibletrial.com swords and sign up for your free 30-day trial. You'll be giving yourself a little treat and helping out your favorite satirists. After that, it's just $14.95 a month. What a bargain, right? As a member, you'll get a credit every month for an audiobook and access to loads of audio content. And even if you cancel, not that you're going to want to, of course, you still get to keep all of your audiobooks. Now that's what I call a good deal. And now back to the show. So let's break this down. We are getting more overt inklings that there's corruption in the church. Yes. And this is something we had all kind of suspected before. 
And this is a Christian fantasy show. So who's to say that it wasn't meant to happen this way? The church is corrupt. The OCS is becoming corrupt. And they're losing sight of their true purpose. So maybe the powers that be wanted to get the halo out of their hands. Nice. And it was like a destiny moment that it went to Ava. So when they put it in this random rebellious girl who who was recently dead and she's brought back to life, which we learned in the first episode, at least as far as the church knows, has never happened before. This is God's will. But we see that even though she's resisting the hero's path, she has it in her to be a hero for others. And she acts more like a shield. And what's what's interesting is the church just reclaimed that shield of faith. Yes. From Arctech. The nuns stole it back from Arctech. And they figured that Jillian needed that last piece of divinium to finish her terrifying hell portal to hell or heaven. We don't know, or somewhere else. But Limbo, maybe <laughs> just kind of a mellow place. Yeah. But so this interpretation of how Ava got the halo is actually fits more in line with what father Vincent suspects. Right. That it may have, we have to have, he keeps saying to people, we have to have faith We don't know that she wasn't meant to get the halo. Great point. You know, something interesting about you saying that Ava is more like the shield of faith. And maybe that's going to become her, like, signature weapon. Because a lot of the warrior nuns in the past have used the cruciform sword, right? Right. But they just recovered the shield of faith. And you know who has the cruciform sword right now? Lilith. Yes. Mm-hmm. What if she represents the corruption within the church? The it's more true. militant, corrupt arm of the OCS. Yeah. I'm going to say right now, it would be pretty good if Lilith joined the tech company. Since they lost their shield, if she took the sword to them and started working for them she as a might. way to, as a way to spite Ava. That huh. could be pretty pog. I don't know if she would do that, though, since Doretti hates Arctech. Yeah. yeah, but if Ava goes back to the OCS and they accept her, Lilith can feel... She might feel betrayed by her organization. Possibly. And I could see if, if that happens in another episode, how she might be pushed. It's well, true. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the fight or not fight between Ava and Lilith plays out, presumably at the start of the next episode. Mm -hmm. Yes. Another thing is, Father Duretti mentions that the church is cracking down on the OCS, saying that they are somehow failing in their mission and underperforming, right? Of course, we only have his words to go on. Only his words, and it's only been a few days. I have a feeling he might just be lying. Yeah. Could be. As a way to get power. I don't think he's been reporting this probably to the Vatican. You know what? You're so right because he they only have his word to go on that they're in trouble. He yeah. could be the one in trouble. He could be the one who's at risk of losing his position in the church. And he thinks he's going to come in there and leverage something with them and like try to take credit for anything they accomplish. 
to secure his position. We don't know. Possibly. He's more of a political figure within the organization, not a man of faith, really. It's true. Also, in the second episode, I believe, we hear a Christian from Arctech who used to work as an archiver at the Vatican. Yes. Right. Say that he heard rumors of the OCS, right? This is the guy who's supposed to archive all the information that the Vatican has. And he only thinks there's a vague suspicion they could exist. Hmm. I really doubt they're getting backlash from the Vatican if they're that little known, if they're like so kept under lock and key, the secret of their existence. It's hard to know. I mean, it's still possible that high-ranking Vatican authorities could know about the OCS. So that's an interesting point. The Pope. The Papacy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, Mary, while I don't necessarily agree with all of her techniques, such as brutal torture and murder, she does seem like she's one of the characters who is more sympathetic to Ava, who's a li- who's got a little bit more of a buddy-buddy relationship with her up to this point. Yeah, I mean... They were kind of joking with each other in the last episode. Yeah, and she and Father Vincent are tight. Yeah. Ma- yeah. Mary and Father Vincent. And so, I could be wrong, but I still think Vincent is a trustworthy guy. I do, too. For the most part. He still wants to find Ava and work with her. He doesn't want to harm her. It's Doretti yeah. and Lilith that want to hurt her. So, yeah, I still trust Vincent. He, I think he's trustworthy. He, he might he, not be totally on the up and Right, right, right. I, I get the feeling like he's got a troubled past, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's a little bit of a shepherd book. Yeah. <laughs> Except, you know, he's, it seems like Vincent's actually a priest. Oh, yeah, but real quick on that scene where Vincent and Mary are in the confession booth yes. together. Oh, that was an interesting scene. Yeah. yeah. They're doing it for secrecy, which is not... Uh, I mean, actually, maybe it is sort of what the confession booths are for. Literally what the booths are for. Yeah, Yeah, discretion. Uh, I mean, secrecy and absolution. Right. (laughs) But uh, that's where they're discussing the secret room that Ava might be able to get into, right? Yeah. And the insidious plot and mistrust within their organization. But... Mary also, there's the scene where she's confessing that she killed that guy. And the architect mercenary. Oh, and you feel remorse or guilt? And she's like, well, no, not that. Or like, there's no sorrow in my soul over that. It was self-defense, right? And he's like, oh, then your conscience is clear. And I'm like, wait a sec. Wait, what are we saying? Yeah, he was pretty quick to just let that slide. I mean, Mary is Vincent's, like, sword. Yeah. None with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her conscience is clear in the sense that she doesn't feel bad about what she did. Dude, her nickname is Shotgun Mary. Yeah, Yeah. pretty sick. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, we've covered a lot for this episode. Why don't we jump to our final thoughts about it? Alright guys, so we just wrapped up episode 4 of Warrior Nun. Lots going on, lots of plots unraveling before our eyes. What do we think? What are the last things we want to talk about here? So I want to go back to the title of the episode and try to break it down. Please. We we didn't quite get there in our discussion, but I think I have a better idea now. I think it has to do with Father Doretti and Lilith. 
Okay. Ooh. Because we focused on them a lot in this episode. Yes, they, they were actually, major players. They were possibly even the bulk of the episode. Yes. At least the majority. So I think it has to do with them feeling like Ava is not the proper type of halo bearer. She's not worthy. That's kind of like that horror passage. <laughs> ah, the horror passage. <laughs> do you want to uh, restate the passage for yeah, the yeah. listener? Yeah, sure. It goes, bear with me here. The whoredom of a woman may be known in her haughty look and eyelids. If thy daughter be shameless, keep her in straightly, lest she abuse herself through overmuch liberty. So I think the first line has to do with their opinion of Ava. Sure. And her unworthiness in their eyes. And the fact that she's a rebel who rebels. Exactly, yes. exactly. Then the second line has to do with how Doretti thinks that nuns should be kind of controlled and kept under his control and influence. Right. And he wants the power that brings within the organization and the power and influence that that, that will grant him in kind of exacting his will. Yeah, it's true. Another thing that the second line could be in reference to when it's explaining like how if you allow yourself too much, not sexually promiscuous, although that could be contextualized in this way, but like promiscuous freedom, yeah. right? like you are overindulgent, it can be unhealthy for you. And that I saw sort of in the section where the woman is walking into the alleyway and Ava perceives the guy following her as a predator. Right? Yeah. Because the way I interpreted that passage is if you indulge in yourself too much, you're easy to be preyed upon. And that sort of reminded me of like the fool tarot card. Okay. And the way that it represents like you're just enthusiastically going head on into a situation you don't know very much about. And that's oh. why you're the fool because you you're open to danger your enthusiasm is leading you into unsafe territories right that's certainly what happened to ava because she got shanked in the gut exactly and ava represents that as well she doesn't have a lot of personal experience with danger growing up in an orphan orphanage she was fine to a bed yeah so she wouldn't maybe understand that there are different ways to read situations, like you're saying, Jack. Yeah. And that there are different dangers than just the obvious. Yeah. And then, I mean, the show, especially this episode, has done a lot of turning things on their head, right? When the woman goes into the alley, pursued by the man, you know, we have very obvious visual language here. I predicted during the episode there was going to be an inversion that the woman was going to be the threat to the man. You did call it right before it happened. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that is not to say that the man was not a threat to her too, because yeah. it did seem like he was kind of cornering her. He was obviously trying to take advantage of somebody he thought was a drunk woman. Right. But then she had a gang of women in the alley with her to attack him. We don't know what's going on with that yet, if that's going to come back. I assume they were trying to rob him. Possibly. And but this could also be part of... Because this is the thing. The demon was going into the alley behind 
them. Yes. That's why Ava decided to pursue them, not because of the perceived threat of sexual violence necessarily, but because she saw the demon coming. It's true. And, you know, I got to take that back what I said. I don't know if they were trying to rob him because they were just beating him up and then one pulled out a knife. Like, they weren't trying to ask him for anything. They were just yelling obscenities at him. Yep. I think they were uh, just taking out their anger on this one man. Possibly. That scene needed a little something else just to, like, kind of wrap it up more cleanly, I think, because... There was obviously some kind of editing happening where... The next cut, we see Ava just walking on the beach covered in blood and healed, which, okay, that makes sense, but, like, what did... Like, did the guy run away? Like, just what happened? Yeah, my reaction while we were watching the show is like, what? What happened? How are we here? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we missed something that would have fed the context. So, okay, this is awesome because us talking about this has made me realize that I didn't just think about it in the moment. Maybe you guys already picked up on this, but that scene is symbolic for what is going on within the church. Right. What what we see is not necessarily what's actually happening behind the scenes. And also with Arctech and Ava. So, yeah, whatever we perceive as the danger isn't necessarily going to be the real danger. Yeah. Right. There's and, a lot of questions still. And so that symbol is kind of like foreshadowing for us. Yeah. And we could read it that way anyway. And, you know, I, I think I'm seeing one of the things that this show does really well is establish a lot of layered storytelling yes. and sets you up for what I think so far have been interesting mysteries. That's true. We're never really sure who to trust, but we're starting to get some inkling of who might be more trustworthy. And, you know, and that could be subverted at some point, too. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of like, I mean, it's a, a heavily character driven show. But it's always like everybody's kind of a little fluid, like you're saying. You never know quite where somebody stands, and that's by design, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's a great point. It is a very character-driven show, and that is one of the reasons why I was actually, I don't know if I was impressed, but the fight scene at the end of the episode stood out to me, because we haven't seen a lot of that. This is is an action-adventure, but... The action's been a little light so far, which is fine. The characters I'm really into and enjoying. But we had a really cool fight scene with Lilith against the Arctech security guards. Sorry, Beatrice versus the Arctech security guards. Great fight scene, great choreography, very flowy and like acrobatic. It was neat to just see a little bit more action in a show that has been pretty character-driven. Up well, also point. their tactics, their team tactics, that was pretty cool. It's very supportive. The nun heist? Yeah, even some of the nuns were discussing how this isn't really a job that they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like that scene. They're questioning it, for sure. Yes. Where Lilith and Beatrice are kind of showing their their schism of alliances. Yeah, and Beatrice is kind of calling Lilith out and showing that she's suspicious of her. Yeah. She's being kind of overt about it. Um, But, like... Their supportive tactics were like when they were helping boost each other over the fence and when Beatrice acts as a decoy. Right. And pulls the security guard in with just her placid look on her face, very calm, not moving. He walks up to her and the trap's set. (laughs) Which kind of mirrors the attack in the alley. 
Yes, right. Creating this facade of innocence and safety or just being like kind of helpless, helplessness and innocence. Jamie, you're so right. So that's another symbol, traps. There are all these traps that are being set. Yes, and sprung. <laughs> yes. And, and then there's this trap being constructed around Ava. <laughs> yes. Will she slip the trap? Well, we'll find that in the it's, future. It's from... It's coming at her from all sides, Arctech and the church, you know. Yeah, JC's her only real friend yeah. in this. And maybe, maybe Father Vincent and Mary. They could be trying they could be potential allies coming up. They could be. I'm still not sure I one hundred percent trust JC when he kind of showed up. <laughs> I mean, this could just be classic film shorthand but like he seems to always kind of know where she is he does always understand how to find her he randomly found her on the beach earlier in the episode and then later on he finds her on some random bridge yeah and he's it's really hard to tell how he's being framed because it was really kind of weird when he when they first get together in this episode he's like running at her and ava flees from him yeah. And he's, like, running silently, like, in a hood. Yeah. It was really strange. It was very odd language. I thought, is this some other agent coming exactly. after Exactly. So, to be fair to your point, we are being told much more explicitly in this episode that things aren't what they seem. Exactly. And that there are traps everywhere. Yes. I thought that was actually a really good scene. Because when he's chasing her, it calls out to her and she realizes who he is. She's like, JC, he's like exhausted trying to run after this semi-divine person, right? He's just like, wow, you run really fast, he's right? He's like, what the hell? Yeah, what the hell? You're so fast. I thought that was so funny because that's he's exhausted. He's not thinking about the first thing he says. That observation when he's like out of breath seemed very realistic to me. I just yeah. liked that <laughs> scene a lot. Um, but so yeah, I just really no. like our definition of Ava's strength as being a shield for others. It's true. And also another thing, they're showing her like, or the church interprets her free spiritedness. They always have Sister Francis. Uh, Mother Superion, everyone who has encountered Ava's free-spiritedness, jokester personality, wanting to live Moss personality as a weakness, but it's clearly her strength. Yes. It's so overtly her strength in this series. She is the avatar of freedom. Exactly. I mean, that's how she connects with others. She's got this charisma. Yeah, exactly. She's yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. She is so life that she cannot die. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. And Lilith is about to encounter that up close and personal. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, she is wielding that divinium sword. And what's more, Ava just took a lethal dose of poison. Yes. Yeah, and but she's, she's got that crazy constitution score. Yeah, but she's still healing. Who knows if she's healed up yet? That's yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, Could slow her down. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if during the fight she staggered a little bit. She looked staggered as she was coming out of the building. Yeah. Mm. And she was acting all woozy. Well, that could have been because she just committed 
uh, murder. It's a complicated scenario. You know, yeah. the funny thing is about that scene where she kills Sister Francis is she's like, Diego, I'm so sorry you had to see that. And he's like, you're an angel, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A murderous, vengeful angel. So more of a see, classical angel. I thought that was a nice juxtaposition because just before that, when Ava revealed who she was to Sister Francis, when she steps into the light, Sister Francis says, you're a devil from hell. Right. Yes. And and then Diego says, you're an angel. I'll see you in heaven. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and I trust Diego more than I trust yeah. Sister Francis. Yeah. Jeez. This show is all about who do you trust? You can trust Diego. You can take that to the bank. Can yes. we? Is he a devil? <laughs> oh, boy. I still, I've said it since episode two. That I still think you can befriend demons. Yes, it can, it's true. So even if Diego's a demon, he's already befriended. <laughs> nice. Well, on that note, we'd like to thank you for joining us this week as we had another awesome time discussing Warrior Nun. If you enjoyed this episode... Maybe consider uh, leaving us a rating on your podcatcher so that other people can find out about our show and know how much you love it. You can also check us out on the social media, as everybody says, or just social media. (laughs) At Swords and Satire on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you think that we're just, you know, your favorite podcast in the whole world, you can support us some of your favorite artists on patreon you with uh with varying tithes and indulgences from one dollar and up two dollars you'll get various bonus content such as the occasional duck lots of uh (laughs) lots of uh outtakes that we have outtake reels and bonus episodes like our previous beloved segment rewriting history it exists there for you also you get to vote on the movies that we watch each month what could be better just go to our page at patreon.com slash swords and satire and if you don't have enough coins to pay your tithes you can always tell others about the show and spread the good word (laughs) ah have you heard the good news swords and satire has a podcast Exactly. (laughs) Yes, my son. That got weird. (laughs) Well, until next time, Hail Crom!